welcome to the one in one podcast where below average podcaster chats with an above average athlete. I'm your host Bridget B. My guest today is Stephen Johnston, who played basketball at Fairfield University from 2012 to 2015. He literally went from team manager to starting several games. It's an incredible story. He now owns his own basketball training business, No Days Off Training, where he has trained a plethora of great players. Steve, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Bridget. How are you doing? I'm pretty good. You know, it's coming up on Friday that we're recording this on a Thursday, so I'm just excited for the weekend ahead. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm pretty pumped too. Usually that's when I have a decent amount of training sessions, so you know I'm looking forward to it. And obviously, every day is a, a fresh day for a new day to get better, and that's that's how I kind of attack every day. Regardless. No days off, no free weekends. Yeah, no, 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 no free days for me, really. <laughs> Love it. So, Steve, you grew up in Stamford, Connecticut. Um, now, that's only about an hour from New York City. So, are you a New York sports fan or a New England sports fan? Uh, I grew up being a New York sports fan. Uh, my dad kind of grew up in New York, so he was uh, New Jersey. Like, well, I forgot where they started, but uh, he was a Nets fan. So when they were in New Jersey, but he followed them all the way back when they were in the ABA, when Dr. J was there. And so, you know, growing up, it was usually the, the Nets. So, but for me, I kind of took to the Lakers uh, um, growing up, you know, but I, I always supported, you know, the uh, Knicks, Nets, Giants, Yankees. Uh, I was a Yankees fan more so than a Mets fan. So I didn't really have any you know, allegiances to anybody. I just, you know, I just wanted to see the local team close by because I'm closer to New York win, but that didn't really happen too too often. (laughs) Well, the Giants got a few Super Bowls. You were young, but the Yankees had a bunch of World Series, obviously. Yeah, when they had Jeter, obviously all those guys, Tino Martinez, Chuck Knobloch, uh, Roger Clemens. I, I was a big baseball guy before. Um, you know, kind of basketball took over my life, but, uh, yeah, I, 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 you know, I was always a big Yankee guy. I used to play baseball video games, but, um, like I said, eventually basketball took over, but I always, you know, like I said, whenever a New York team won, you know, I was just happy, you know, being, being able to relate to people about it. So that was the other reason for it. Nice. Nice. Okay. So it sounds like you started with baseball. That was your first sport, huh? Yeah, um, I mean, basketball was technically my first sport, but um, baseball was right there, uh, and I was pretty good at it. I was the only thing I wasn't good at was really power with my hitting. I was good at getting on base. I was fast. I was good at fielding. Had a decent arm, um, but I got hurt. I remember I was on the All Star team for sixth grade. A kid slid into my ankle, and I was like, I don't want to deal with this anymore. Like. I was like, this is dangerous, even though, you know, obviously with any sport you get hurt, but that was my mindset. I remember it. And um, I kind of stopped playing baseball after sixth grade. And then it was straight basketball from there on out. That's pretty interesting because I feel like more ankle injuries will come on a basketball court than a baseball diamond. But maybe your mindset was just like, hey, if I'm going to get hurt, it's going to be on a basketball court. No more of this baseball stuff. Yeah, I think that that, that had to be the mindset because, I, I, you know, obviously looking back on it now, it's like that it doesn't make any sense. Why would you do that? But, yeah, I think I think I think that was my mindset. Just basketball was it. So. Okay, so basketball. Any other sports, though, growing up or just um, baseball and then basketball? 
The other sport growing up um, was I did martial arts, and I was actually really good at martial arts. Um, I did Taekwondo. And, um, you know, I'm, when we had tournaments, I'd get uh, bronze, silver. I won gold a couple of times here and there. But um, the place that I studied ta- Taekwondo, I, we had some really good students there. And I actually qualified for the Junior Olympics. I just never went. I don't remember why. But um, I think it was because of basketball, really. At the, at the end of the day, basketball kind of took over. My parents were upset because... They, they, they saw a lot of me. Do, they, I did that since I was probably like in or when I was like five years old. That's when I started to help me build self-confidence, discipline, flexibility. It made my legs strong. And, um, you know, I think, like I said, basketball kind of took over. I just stopped pursuing it. I think I was around the same age, like sixth grade, seventh grade. I kind of stopped. So but that was the other sport. High school, you know, I did track and field. I played football. For two years, three years, call it quits as well. So, I was gonna say, if you're if you're calling it quits on the baseball diamond because of injuries, you could not be playing <laughs> football very long. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, actually, uh, crazy story. I uh, had the most. I guess that was the hardest injury I've ever had in my life that I had to deal with. Where I, my freshman year of high school, I missed my whole basketball season, including AAU. Yeah, um, I got cut from the team. I tried to come back from the injuries quick, but it, I just wasn't the same player. I fractured my ankle, uh, and it kind of my, the bone split. So uh, I needed the plate. Painful. Yeah, it was a little painful. I, I mean, I guess. <laughs> but uh, um, yeah, no, I had to get a plate, twelve screws. Um, they took out all the screws. Um, during the surgery, so I had to have two surgeries. The first surgery was to put it in, or three surgeries. First surgery was to put it in. The second surgery was super minor, where they had two super long screws that they had to take out. And then the third surgery was um, to take everything out if I wanted it. And then what happened during third surgery, they were able to take out all the screws, but what happened was my bone infused with the metal plate. So they had to call my, my parents during, during the operation and said, like, asked my, my parents, like, hey, do you want us to cut into the bone? He's going to be out for another six months. Or you let just leave the plate in the, in, in the bone. And my dad just said, just leave it. So I was happy they did because I, I don't know if I could have missed another six months of, of sports. It would have been really tough. But, um, yeah. And then after that, I was like, uh, no more bat- base, uh, no more football. But I ended up playing one more year uh, when I transferred schools. So, huh, okay, wow, that's pretty young to be going through that injury. What are you, a yeah. freshman, fourteen, fifteen years old? That's a lot of surgery. Yeah, it was. It was. It, it, it took a toll on me mentally. It was just like I was. You know, people called me hop along because I was hopping along, <laughs> trying to trying to shoot. But er, like I said, everything happens for a reason. And, and up to that point, I couldn't shoot the basketball. I like I would shoot, but I wasn't a good shooter and. I was relying a lot on my athleticism and what that injury did was it made me have to figure out how to shoot. And, you know, off of one foot, I was just shooting. That's all I could do. I couldn't run. I couldn't jump. I couldn't lay the ball up. So it was just a lot of mentals. Yeah. Yeah. So like I said, there's always, um, you know, there's two sides to everything. If you you focus on the negative, you're going to see negative. If you can see the positive out of something, then you can flip anything. So that's, that was the positive. Yeah. Broken ankle, positive. Yeah, exactly, exactly. 
All right, so your your high school career is an interesting one. You actually went to quite a few schools, um, not because you got kicked out or anything, because <laughs> you know you were pursuing a basketball career and trying to better yourself that way. So can you explain what was going on in high school? Yeah, so basically um, my parents wanted me to go to a, a, a pretty good high school and there was a new high school locally there was a magnet school so it was schools called aite so it was like a technology school mm-hmm. um so it was a little bit of ahead of time you know we got every all the students got laptops and we did they had offered engineering classes networking classes and obviously your your core classes you need to take to to graduate high school but it was just a little bit different from your normal high school and so i went there you know but they didn't have any sports programs. So we had to play for your local team or your, whatever your address was, wherever your, is where your school is. So I, I used to, I would play for West Hill high school. And because of that, um, I would leave school early to go to practice when I would play. And it was only, I only did, like I said, I only did basketball and track, um, for like two and a half years or two and a third, whatever, how long it was. But, um, so fast forward, um, I was looking to go to prep school for basketball, and that was my going into my junior year. So I started my junior year at um, AIT, and then they accepted me really late. So I was like maybe like three weeks in or a month in of school, and they contacted my parents. They were like, hey, we can take Steve. Um We'll give you the weekend to think about it. But if you guys say no or you need longer than that, we can't take him. So I literally had two days to figure out if I was going to transfer school. So I just said yes, did it. Um, and that was a transition for me because um, just the academic rigor was different. You know, uh, prep school scene in, in New England is, is top-notch academics with top-notch uh, athletics. You know, it's, it's really uh, competitive and well-rounded. Uh, for well, it helps develop well, well-rounded people. So it was uh, it was an interesting experience to do that. And I, I obviously I played there. Um, my grades slipped that first year, and uh, wasn't because you know I was dumb. I was just it was a different type of it was a different curriculum, and it was a little more intense. A lot of the kids in the school kind of been in the school for a while. Obviously, coming into my junior year, they've been there for two, two, three years already. And some even started in fifth, the school starts in fifth grade. So they've been there the whole time. So they've, they have been groomed from that age to understand how to, um, or what they expect in terms of just the academic, um, excellence and stuff like that. So it was, um, so after that year, we had a cold conversation. It was me, the head of the school, uh, my basketball coach, my academic advisor, my college counselor, and uh, my dad. And we all talked, and they were saying my grades were okay. My GPA was like a 3.8 at, at, at AIT. And then, um, you know, it dropped almost all the point. It was like a 2.8 when I went there. So they were like, we can get you into school off of academics, but we do suggest if you want, you know, you do another year, you get your GP, GPA back up, and then you can really – you know, market you to really good academic colleges. And then what really sold me was my high school coach was like, you also get an extra year of basketball. I was like, sign me up. So <laughs> that that's all I needed to hear. So I was like an extra year. Um, 
you know, to be able to get seen, uh, you know, my recruiting process was different than most, but that, that's kind of like my high school career in a nutshell. Yeah, you know, a lot of people are doing the reclassifying now, whether it's, um, you know, going back a year or going forward a year. We've seen that at least with one Duke player, maybe two. Um, but yeah, you were kind of ahead of your time for that. But yeah, that's great. That's a great sell, right? Another year of basketball. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, and, and as a trainer, I'm seeing it a lot more. Um, and they're doing it a lot earlier. They're doing it in middle school. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, that's, you know, that's true. They, they get the physical you know, advantage early on, like in eighth grade, then when they get to high school, they're already well developed and established through the social media and stuff because everybody's looking at social and they're able to be seen, right? So now it's like they're ahead of the game. And I literally, when I went full time into this, I, you know, I was, you know, you know, blind to this. I had no idea this was going on. And, um, I was at the Patrick school in New Jersey. That's where Kyrie went. So they had a, a basketball program there. It was, you know, well ran. Um, and a lot of those kids were reclasses. I had no idea they were reclass eighth graders. I'm like, are these kids really eighth grade? And then I found out they, you know, they did an extra year in middle school, but the level of play, I'm like, these kids can play varsity at a lot of high schools. <laughs> and, you know, um, you know, one of, I still train one of them to this day. He's, you know, he's, he was six, eight in eighth grade. I'm like, dude, what? <laughs> That's amazing. yeah, but, um, no, their skill level, the, the, the intensity, the passion that these those kids had, but they're all, they all have already like at least six division one scholarships each from the, the like seven, eight kids that I had, I was working with. I worked with a lot of kids, but like the top group at that school, like seven or eight of them have like five division one offers right now and they're only sophomores so it's 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 it it pays off you know that extra year you sacrifice you know a year extra middle school but you already have college paid off so it's you as a parent you know I, i hear a lot of parents complain about it but if their kids if their kid it's on what you want for the kid if they want to go to college and they're trying to get college get to college for free why, 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 why doesn't, why, well, sorry, why not, you know? Yeah, no, I 100% agree with you. So you have that extra year of high school. So how was your career at St. Luke's? How far did you guys go? Um, we did well uh, for what we had and uh, all things considered. It was, uh, it was a great experience. Um, in terms of level of basketball, I was expecting a little bit more. And in terms of just like my team, you know, um, you know, fast forward, like back in 2018, I went back to coach the team and you had five or six kids that were trying to go play college basketball. You know, when I was there, it was only like two or three. We actually had three kids that ended up playing college basketball. Everybody else were, were kind of like three sport athletes or they would play, they played a different sport, but basketball was something they loved. It, the only thing that I, I remember was the the intensity we played with and I can say that that was great. I I wouldn't trade it for anything. Those kids played so hard, gave their all. And we, um, we ended up going to the finals uh, for our league championship twice out of my three years there. The first year I actually was hurt. So I didn't play in the FAAs. Um, It's we played in the Fairchester athletic association. Um, And so my first year, we didn't make it second year. We lost to we lost in a championship and the third my senior year um we won nice. and then we then we had 
the NEPSACs, which is private schools version of states. So New England. So we would play, you could play, that means you could play a team from Massachusetts or uh, wherever, Vermont, Rhode Island, depending on what class you're in. There's different divisions, different classes. And so my, my first year there, we made it to the finals, lost. My second year, I believe we lost in the second round. And then my senior year, we lost in the finals. Oh yes, yeah, so we made we made we made it far. We you know I got I had we had a good team, good great chemistry. Um, scored personally, I scored twelve like almost thirteen hundred points in three years of varsity play. So I was, I was pretty proud of that. Um, and um, yeah, and then you know obviously I had to figure out college, which was the most stressful part. Yeah, so let's get into it. You're over a thousand point scorer in in high school. We know you end up walking on at Fairfield, but yeah, tell tell us the in between. Were you recruited at all to other schools, and how did you end up at Fairfield? So it was like I said, it was very stressful. Like, uh, and this is one of the reasons why I'm a basketball trainer. I'm trying to be somebody I wish I had growing up, kind of give me, you know, their point of view and just be able to be open about the conversation and not say, Oh, you can't do this. Cause I see this. It's more about, this was my path. And, but here are your options. You should, you need to see this. So, um, the issue with me, I was stubborn. I can say I had a little bit of an ego looking back on it in high school where I just, no one can tell me anything. I thought I was a division one basketball player and I believed it. I wrote it down. It was just something that I, you couldn't tell me anything else. <laughs> So um, I was trying. I was emailing coaches. Um, I wasn't turning my nose up at Division three and Division two schools, but not too many had reached out to me. And also, I didn't really reach out to many D2 and D3 schools. Um, so I didn't really get too much. I went to all these camps. I was trying to figure it out. And so Clark University, which is in Massachusetts, was recruiting me heavy, heavily. Um, and I really had two or three responses from colleges. So Quinnipiac, I reached out to American University down DC and I can't remember another one. I have the letters somewhere in my room, but uh, yeah, so American already had their scholarships gone. I was thinking, like I was being realistic. I was like, I, I'm not going to UConn, I'm not going, but I can play at like a Sacred Heart of uh, Quinnipiac. I feel like I could play at a Fairfield I could play at, uh, you know, Long Island, um, Brooklyn. Like, those are, like, a lower Division One. I, I felt like I could play at. But um, just never really got the, the chance. And when I played good competition, I always played well. Um, played a kid. My senior year, we played Long Island Lutheran. They're our national powerhouse even to this day. Um, I was going toe-to-toe with the kid that's going to Vill- that went to Villanova. And I had, you know, 25 points on them. And they, mind you, they had three other Division One players. So I was like, this is a good game. So I'm like oh, I can play with the best of them. Why aren't colleges coming and knocking on my door? But, um, you know, things happen for a reason. So fast forward, I didn't want to go to, I had D3. I had, I was good in academic. My grades were really good. I got it back up to like a 3.5, 3.6, you know, and um, Fairfield, I was looking at Fairfield, Marist, Iona, Canisius, like Mac schools, NEC schools, um, and I cut it down to Marist because Marist at the time was really bad. So my head was, I can get a great education and have a chance to walk on and play. Fairfield was doing really well. Um, they, at the time was Coach Cooley. 
So I was like, all right, Fairfield's a little bit higher, but I can definitely, I can see myself getting on the team somehow, some way. And then Clark, you know, it was a good, really good D3 school. They were, they had, um, you know, a top uh, D3 All-American on the team at the time. And they told me they wanted me to come in and just score the ball. They wanted me to average 20 points a game as a freshman. And I just wanted to go Division One. So um, I decided to go Fairfield. Marist actually waitlisted me because if I got into Marist, I think there's a chance I would have gone to Marist instead. But um, Fairfield took me, uh, decided to go to Fairfield, and then Coach Cooley left. And I was already talking to the coaching staff before when Cooley was there. And so then I kind of put a hamper on everything, but I stuck it out and um, decided Fairfield because of financial aid. And um, yeah. Okay, nice. And uh, that, that's so frustrating that you played so well in good competition and weren't getting recognized. And unfortunately, as you know, you're in the business. It happens a lot. But um, obviously, we'll get into your story more. You end up on your feet and doing well. Um, but yeah, and then you have the, the other bummer where the coaching staff leaves when you're about to get there. And I imagine you had talked to, with them about potentially walking on. Yeah, I did. Um, you know, uh, one of the parents from St. Luke's, uh, who was a family friend, she played at she played at Fairfield. So she was like, "Yeah, I'm good friends with the coach and the staff there. I'll make the connection." So we got the conversation going, gave the uh, coaching staff, you know, some highlight film, and you know, they they liked what they saw. They they, they could have saw me more as like a practice player at first, and then maybe you know walk on, but. Um, that never happened. So new coaching staff came in and, you know, I had to start that process all over again. Yeah. So you still try out as a freshman. Unfortunately, you don't make the team. How much of a bummer was that? Dumb it question, was, right? It's such a bummer. No, no, it was, <laughs> it was like, you know, um, I, I can remember it was eight guys that kind of tried out. It was crazy because I was running, like I had 8am classes, but I would wake up at six. I'd go try to run a mile. Um, go to the rec, the local recplex and, and work on shooting and stuff because I didn't have access to the practice gym. So I was trying to find ways to get in the gym and, and, and kind of get ready. And so, you know, when tryouts came, it was just like, I thought I was in shape, but I was, I was hurting. Everybody else was hurting. But, you know, when we played one-on-one, I was killing. And, you know, I was a freshman. There was a couple upperclassmen and, uh, I guess the other part to being a walk-on is, you know, your coaching, your coaches in the past, your resume and who you are as a person. So uh, they said that that checked out, but they already had a walk-on and we could use you as a practice player manager. And, you know, I had to eat some humble pie there. I was just like, you know what? I just want to be on the team. I want to work my way up. And, you know, they, 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 they like that. And they uh, accepted me as a walk, uh, as a team manager, practice player first. Well, and what's so unique about your story, Steve, is that a lot of people would have just said, no, I'm not interested and got on their way and had a great college experience without the sport aspect. But you said yes to it. And that's a lot of work being a team manager and then also being a practice player. Can you get into some of the duties that you had? Yeah, for sure. It was um, it was, you know, kind of difficult at first. Like, I just didn't know what to expect. And, you know, the first practice, I thought I was going to be able to suit up, but he just had me working the clock. You know, there was a wet spot on the floor. I had to go wipe the sweat off the floor, uh, do the laundry, 
bring the laundry down, uh, wash it, dry it, bring it back up, uh, fill up the water container. And um, for practice for the guys that when they have water breaks to drink water. And it was, um, yeah, it was, like I said, it was, it was a very humbling experience. And, you know, doing that to, you know, earning a jersey was, it was a big accomplishment for me. Um, but it was something I knew that I could do. But not until, it wasn't until like probably a weekend he let me step on the court in terms of as a, like a, as a practice player. So that was, yeah, that was tough. And then being a practice player was really fun, in my opinion. Um, but, you know, like I said, I thought I was a Division One player until that first practice. And I, um, I was feeling myself. I got on the court. I was shooting. I was hitting shots. Um, and then, you know, I stole the ball on defense. They were going over offense. And then I, when I stole the ball, I was wide open. I went for a layup. And next thing I hear is just this big slap. And I'm just like, what just happened? And one of the players chased down, chased me down full speed, hit, pinned my uh, layup against the backboard. And I was like, wow, this is a different type of athleticism because I, I thought I was pretty fast. And then after that, you know, it kind of went downhill from there. They're like, Steve, run the point. Now, I was more of a combo guard in high school or I was more of a shooter. And, you know, I was a little disappointed with, with my high school coach um, at the time because I wanted to be a point guard. So I wanted to take my senior year to be on the ball and learn how to run the run the team. So but he just said, you're you're a better scorer. So I had to really um, just be OK with the role I bought in. But like I said, fast forward, you know, the guy that I was going against was a transfer from Houston, University of Houston. Um, Des Wade, five uh, nine guard from Linden, New Jersey. And he's known for locking up a hand three. So I was trying to run the play so the defense can get their reps. And he stripped me like three plays in a row. Coach took me out. He was like, and he put the, the, the other, one of the other assistant coaches to, to work, to run the point guard. And he moved me to the two. So I was like, man, I got a lot of work to do. Yeah, I mean, that, that is a tough uh, first day on the job as far as yeah. being a practice player. But, I mean, clearly you do the work. So what was it? Did you put in the time after practice? Did you just get better during the practice? What was going it was, on? It was everything. Um, you know, I was a jack of all trades when I really think about college. I tried to do, I tried to do it everything. Like, I tried to be a part of clubs. I was doing basketball. I was trying to have a normal student life. I was, you know, trying to go out and have fun with my friends. But it was really difficult because then you sacrifice one of the other grades or sleep or something. And so um, my time, you know, I would try to set my schedule up where um, I can come in after practice or before practice. And I, I had a couple days where I did that and I would work out with, um, you know, one of my, you know, I call him my big brother. His name was Derek Needham. It was him and Sean Crawford were like two of the first guys that actually like accepted me for being on the team because they gave me a little bit of uh, crap before to start, you know, like as like heckling or, you know, initiation, whatever it was. Yeah. And, um, you know, the first I'll go into that other story, but I usually got my work in with them and then usually after practice for a little bit and then. You know, whenever um, I can get into the gym, I didn't have access to the gym like the players did yet because I was a walk on. And so whenever I tried to sneak in here and there and got in. So it was just like my work ethic is relentless when I put my mind to something. So. 
Yeah, sounds like it. And you worked hard enough to earn um, dressing for the last game of the season, right? Yeah, it was also, you know, partially the injuries. They needed people on the bench, so they ended up giving me a jersey. Um, it was still a, a proud moment. I got to be in the layup lines and sit on the bench and kind of learn about things. And, um, you know, like I wanted to go back to that story. Like when I first got respect, respect from the team, um, one of the players was actually one of the guys. He kind of, I would call him not a bully, but he was giving me a real hard time. And I said, check up. And we played one-on-one and the whole team watched. And I, I lost. I lost seven and six. But after that, everybody started respecting me a lot more. They're like, oh, he can actually hoop. Like, let's not sleep on the kid, you know? So that was one of the, the, the turning points for me. And that was, you know, like a month into, into like practice and stuff. So after that, things started smoothing out and, and, and going well. But um, yeah, fast forward. Yeah. 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 That's, that's one of my favorite lines to say to anybody that talks trash. So, um, <laughs> Uh, but yeah, fast forward to the end of the year was, uh, I think it was the CIT tournament. You know, uh, my freshman year was one of the most talented teams I've ever been on in my life. Um, and I, we, we should have made the NCAA tournament in my opinion, but some injuries happened. Like I said, if we didn't have those injuries, you know, I think I saw, I, I think about it sometimes. I'm like, we would have played, um, who's it? John Diebler, uh, who's the point guard, Aaron Kraft and Jared Sullinger in Ohio state in the first round. We ended up losing the MAC final that year by um, by five points, but you know it was really cool just be, even just being on the bench, um, just being a part of it. So um, you know I never take those moments for granted, and you know to this day it's one of those things I cherish. That was my first you know time stepping on the Division One college court as a player. Yeah, you know it was a season that you didn't expect at the start of the year, but you put in the work, and it really sets you up for the next several years at Fairfield. But tell me, so that summer, right after the freshman season, how hard did you work? Like, how much work did you put in that summer? I put in uh, hours. Like, I, I was, I was really. I think about it, and I tell people this. Like, I was crazy. Like, I don't. I really think about it. I'm like, I can't do that again. I can't put my body through that. <laughs> Like I literally, there was that summer. I had an internship with my dad. He worked at a um, a hedge fund, so I was doing my my degree. My my uh, my studies at the time was uh, my major was finance. Sorry, and so I was trying to find ways to get experience, still work out, and and do all these things. So luckily, being my dad was my boss, he gave me a little bit of leeway. But I had to put in either extra work in the morning or at night. So. I sometimes would wake up, you know, 6 a.m., go to the gym, shower there, go to work, you know, go through the whole day, then go to the gym at night. And then there was other times where I was actually invited to practice with the team, and that was usually around lunch. So sometimes when I knew the schedule in advance, I would come in early. I wouldn't go to the gym in the morning. I would go to work at, like, 8. Then from there, I'll go to, like, you know, 11, 30, 12, drive to Fairfield, take me about 30 minutes and then train with the team basketball or, you know, weight room wise. And that helped me build some, uh, you know, chemistry with like the new freshmen and some of the returners. And, um, yeah, so that's, that was kind of my going into my sophomore year. That was kind of the the regimen that I was doing. Wow. Yeah, that is tough. And, you know, being older now, you I'm sure you can't imagine doing that again. Just hearing that sounds exhausting to me. 
<laughs> yeah, you know, the driving. I was so I actually so I lived on campus my first semester and then my second semester I because of finances I ended up being a commuter. So I would sleep like oh, I would sleep tough. on yeah, I would sleep on the ground at, at, at in some of my friends' rooms. I had a sleeping bag, so I would leave my car on campus and I oh. yeah, like I said I would sleep sleep on the floor and you know, figure out food and everything. I had some swipes and stuff to go to the cafeteria, but it was, it, people don't realize it was a grind because I also had to take five classes and being in the business school at Fairfield U, if you look at their ranking now, they were pretty good back then, but they're really good now, but they were top, when I was there, they were top 50 in the country in terms of business school. So it wasn't, it wasn't uh, anything to kind of push over. And um, so my teammates are taking four classes. I'm taking five. I'm trying to outwork kids. And I'm trying to do all this stuff, extracurricular. It was just, like I said, it was just, I was trying to do a lot. And, and I was working on my time management skills. But it was, like I said, I was just work, work, work. That's, and that's, what, I, that's what I do. No days off. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's, that's literally what it was before it, it actually, uh, I created the name. Um, you know, I made the business name actually my senior, uh, the year after my senior year um, in 2015. That's when I made it in LLC. So we'll talk about that when we get there, though. That's awesome. But yeah. now it's not a guarantee that you're going to be a walk-on sophomore year, right? You had to try out as well again. I actually no. He um he had me there uh, as as a walk-on. I didn't have to try out again. Oh, that's but, great. Yeah, it was. But the thing was, we had a talk, and it was like your spot's not safe, you know. Um, and so it was just like you got to. Every practice is your game. Every practice is like the MAC championship for you. And I'm just like, you know, I took that to heart. And that's how I, that's the energy I brought every day. So um, I was going to push my teammates to get better because the way I thought about it, like if I go hard and I get better, I'm pushing them. They're good. So I want to be the best player that I can be. So if I can do that, I get, you know, make them, you know, push them and get them better. You know, if I make them look bad, that's going to be bad for them. So that means they got to step their game up, you know. So it's just like uh, that, that kind of chain reaction where it's like if I push, they got to push, and then the whole team gets better. So Yeah, no, exactly. Everyone's getting better. Yeah. And you end up playing in 17 games that season. Yeah, it was, uh, once again, injuries. Like I said, I think with my story, I think I, got, I really got lucky because of, uh, like, the injury situation. And, um, you know, there were some things that happened that I, I won't really discuss that kind of pushed me, uh, that had me focused. And so uh, I was really determined. Anytime I stepped on that court, I had something to prove. So my coach, you know, it came to me mid-year and was, or like, you know, 10 games in, we don't have many. He was like, if I call your number tomorrow night, be ready. And I remember it. And so my first game against, it was against Marist. You know, go figure. That's the other school I was thinking about going to. Um, and so I get on the, like, he calls me. I'm like, I, I don't freak out, but my heart's racing. I sprint to the table and I get in the game. And I remember we were on defense and we, we turned them over. And I remember, like, I saw my teammates steal it. And the first thing I did, I tripped over my own foot. I <laughs> fell on the ground. I bounced back up like nothing happened to sprint the floor. Uh, I didn't get the layup, but I was just like, I remember that was one of the things I remember. I fell to the ground. My dad talks about it, too. Um, he was like, yeah, I remember your game. You, the first thing you did was you fell to the ground. I was like, yeah, that was, 
that was a little embarrassing, but, uh, you know, that was just a little adrenaline going. But I uh, ended up having a really good game. Um, I shot, I think, three or four from the three-point line. Yeah, you had uh, nine points. Yeah, so that was really good. My first three I shot looked, felt good. A um, couple assists, a couple of rebounds, like two or three assists, two rebounds, whatever it was. But we won. That was the most important thing. So I was just happy, excited. And from there, you know, he kind of utilized me as um, a shooter. You know, that was my role. That's all I really was allowed to do, play defense. I played great help defense. I knew where to be because I, w- I would study a little bit. And, you know, that's what he wanted us to where to be. And so, you know, that year there was a lot of freshmen, so there was a lot of mistakes. So, you know, after he saw that I could shoot and contribute and I was doing getting to the right places, you know, I was, um, you know, I was contributing on a night in, night out basis. Yeah, it's so funny to think, you know, a year ago you had been cut and now next year you're actually playing meaningful minutes. And I know you say there are injuries and there is a little bit of luck involved, but you still have to be ready when your number is called, which you obviously were. And it's just such a testament to the work that you had put in. Yeah, you know, like I, that's something I, I try to like let kids know now. It's like you have to be ready to play no matter what, even if you deserve to be playing a lot more minutes. Like, you can't have that mentality. Oh, I should be playing. It's like, no, when my number is called, I have to be ready to go. And so, um, that's, that's where I was. And for me, I had that extra motivation that I wanted to be able to, um, whenever my number was called, I want to, this is my shot. This is my chance. And so I, you know, luckily I didn't choke, you know, and, uh, and I made the most of it, and he was able to see something in me that, you know, he would, most walk-ons wouldn't get a chance to do. And I was just, like I said, I was just happy about it. Your coach speaks so highly of you in articles written about your time at Fairfield. Coach Sidney Johnson says that you're one of the hardest workers he's ever coached. Yeah, that, that, that was a pretty, uh, pretty big, that's pretty big praise coming from him. He has a great you know, great uh, track record as a coach. And that's something he kind of preaches really a lot, like working hard and working smart and, you know, being disciplined with what you do. So that was something that, like I said, I took the heart, you know, we, 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 you know, he's a great man. You know, sometimes I felt like it was a little, he was tough on me, but I, you know, I guess that was, it was for the, the better of everything. So kind of pushed me to be better. And that kind of helped everybody else on the team as well. Definitely. And it's so cliche. I'm sure you've heard this a million times over, but you know, when a coach is tough on you, it's because they see potential in you and you, you're a walk-on. So it, very easily, he could have just ignored you for those four years, but he clearly saw something in you. Yeah. And, that, and that's, I, that's why I said I was really lucky and blessed. And uh, I, I don't take it for granted. So I'm just, like I said, I was just happy that I was able to get that opportunity. And you know, I, I try to tell my story, you know, I'm not, I don't try to harp on it when I train some, some players, but I just want to I just use it as an example to show them what hard work, dedication, you know, you can create the outcome you want, but you just have to put the work in and be patient. And that was the, that was the toughest thing, being patient for that opportunity. Yeah, no, I 100% agree. So Fairfield plays in the Metro Atlantic Athletic Conference, a really good mid-major conference. You know, you guys have Iona, Mammoth, Siena. All those members, you know, have had decent programs over the years. Can you speak to the competition in that conference? 
Yeah, people sleep on the Mac in, in all honesty. And, and it, it drives me crazy because it's it is a guard dominant league. And some so a lot of these guards, if they either were like an inch taller or could do one skill a little bit better, these guards are high major guard. These are like big East uh, ACC players, literally legit, or they, if they were a little more athletic. So it, it, I don't think the Mac got the respect that it deserved while I was there. And I think even now it still doesn't. And I'm looking at, you know, like the Fairfield team now they're it's, they're really talented and it, they're having, it's not, they're not having a tough year, but it's, it's competitive. It's not easy. Every game is a battle. It's, it's one of those conferences where you don't know who's going to really win. Obviously, in all honesty, Iona's always been a favorite, and every year they usually are. Um, but other than that, like, everybody else is fighting for second, third, fourth, fifth. Like, even Iona's not, I'm not saying Iona's, you know, they can't be beat, but I'm just saying they usually were the favorite. But everybody else was, it was so competitive, so competitive. And there are so many good players that they're still playing professionally overseas, making a living off the game. So, that just that speaks to the the talent level, right? Where if you're a basketball player and you finish college and you're able to continue to play the sport overseas and make money off of, off the game you love, that's that's that has you know a lot to do with your college experience and then your you as a player and your talent. It's not easy. You got players every year coming out. You got teams every year recruiting Americans, and it, it's I could talk about the overseas game, but. That is, um, you know, that's impressive. And that's why I say, like, the Mac is underrated in terms of talent. I uh, completely agree. You know, living in the Northeast, I, I see a lot of the games. And the, the, that Mammoth iona rivalry, terrific. Those games are great. Yeah, I, I, like I said, I, I, Iona's a great, uh, has a great program, a great structure in terms of how they run, run their game. You know, when Tim Kloos was there, it was run and gun. He was like Mike D'Antonio, D'Antonio when D'Antonio was with the Spurs, or not Spurs, the Suns, just run and gun. And it led to a lot of wins, especially in the, in the MAC because it's high octane. But when he got to like the high major schools, it was a little bit tougher, but they still gave a lot of those teams fits because they could shoot the hell out of the ball, you know? So it was just something that, um, like I said, just like Iona's really well ran, you know, King Rice, uh, head coach at Monmouth. He's, he's done a great job. He's a great coach. Uh, and there's just, there's so much respect that, that you have to have, especially after playing in the, in the Mac, the, the date, the in and out, the days in the days out of these coaches that they have to do the you know, scouting reports, you know, and just, it's a nitty gritty league and it's, it's fun basketball to watch. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. So, Steve, your junior year, 2014, you don't see a lot of action early in the season. Is that tough mentally after, you know, that second half of sophomore season, you were a rotation player? That it, it was. I can't even lie. That was that was one of the toughest things for me. Um, I was going to go into that year. I was hoping like I would not, not necessarily say start, but I would get significant minutes off the bench, um, but ended up, you know, I think it was how many, there was like four freshmen that came in that year, five. And um, I think it was four, but you know, freshmen that got significant minutes and I was just upset internally because I was just like, you had me helping 
you know, I was playing for my senior. So there was three seniors, the kid Dez that I mentioned at the beginning, Derek Needham, who's still playing pro ball and another guy named Colin Nickerson, all of them, you know, those are like, those are my guys. And, you know, fun story, like since I was a commuter my, my sophomore year, I was literally sleeping on in their apartment. I was sleeping on their couch instead of driving home to Stanford every day. It was like a 30 minute drive, but it was, they were just, they treated me like family. So um, in return, like when I would step on the court, I'm trying to win for these seniors because I want to get, personally, I wanted to get to the NCAA tournament and I wanted them to get to that because that's always the ultimate goal and dream. Um, but, you know, going to my junior year after playing so much, I'm just like, all right, I think I define my role. I can come in, shoot, play defense. And then it kind of just went back. I just took a, it was like a big step back. And it was like, once again, a piece of humble pie. So I just, the thing with me was I was like, all right, I'm an upperclassman now. We have a bunch of freshmen and sophomores. I'm going to try to be a leader and the best I can. So I was more vocal, even from the bench. I was, you know, yelling at, you know, what to do or trying to help them out. And once again, I had to wait for my turn. Uh, you know, we had a really tough season, but, um, you know, towards the end of the year, you know, we were putting games together and I was just, once again, when I stepped up, I, I stepped up and played well. Yeah, the final 11 games that season, you were in the rotation playing major minutes, even starting some, which is incredible so from the start of the season to the end. What was that turnaround? Was there injuries or what was happening? Um, I feel like it was at the point where we were losing a lot and he needed to mix something up. So he tried to put, you know, he tried to put me in there in terms of upperclassmen. Maybe that's what we need a, a better mix of. And so it, I think it ended up, we won, you know, we only, we only won what seven games that year. I think maybe we won two and that stretch, we won two or three games. Um, not even sure. I have to check that, but like I said, if I played, the whole season, you know, maybe it could have been different, you know, would have, could have, should have. But um, like I said, it was another teaching point. I think that helped me actually become a better leader by not playing and kind of seeing the game cerebrally, like watching the game as sitting on the bench, trying to break it down and trying to see tendencies and things like that. And so like, that's what I would do. I would talk to the players during timeouts. I'm like, yo, he's going left. We, the scout report saying right, but he's been going left a lot. Maybe you got to shade him to go right, see what he does, you know, things like that. Um, and, uh, you know, my teammates value what I had to say because they, they respected how hard I worked. Mm -hmm. No, that's amazing. And a lot of people wouldn't do that. But yeah, being a general or coach from the bench is what every team needs. And it seems like you were able to do that. Yeah, and it's, it's not a role that you would, you know, you don't hear people talk about or you know, they're proud of, but I, like I said, you, the way I see things, it's like, if you're given a job, you want to do, do the job to your, the best of your ability because you don't know who's watching or what doors it can open. You know, I always thought I got to leave this better than I left it, you know? Yeah. If that made sense. But, um, no, I know you know, mean. yeah. So I, I know I didn't say that right. But what I'm saying was like, I, there were other walk-ons at the time. So, I was trying to set an example for them, just like, hey, you guys got to be helpful. And, you know, and when I left, you know, they, they, that's what they did. You know, I was I still, I'm still friends with them. Shout out to my guy, Andrew Leone. He's, uh, he works in the city, but we, we talk basketball. And he was one of those guys that was positive, trying to push people. 
So he was one of those guys that I, I can say maybe I had an effect on him or not. Uh, but, you know, I wouldn't know unless you I, we wouldn't know unless you ask him. But someone like him was the reason why I was like doing what I was doing. So we build a good, uh, you know, I guess a good team uh, culture and, mm-hmm. and kind of go from there. Yeah, I love that. And I'm sure you were a great influence. Uh, and when you I, got in the game. You definitely should have been playing way more because you had several double-figure games. You got in there and did really well. Yeah, I mean, like I said, it was it was just a matter of time. And uh, like I said, I just wanted to win games. I was just tired of losing, sitting on the bench. I, I, you know, sitting on the bench, I can't help. There's only so much I can do from in terms of just trying to help guys on the court. You know, you have to be when you're on the court, you have to do it. So, um, like I said, I, you know, I just had to patiently wait and coach decided to make a change. So I was ready for that. And, you know, that's what happened. And I was just, like I said, I was just happy I was playing. That was really it. Then your senior year, 2015, it's another rough year for Fairfield. I think you didn't win that many games that year. Nope. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but tell me some of the highlights. And I imagine playing at Cameron Indoor had to be one of them. I know you guys didn't win, but yeah, so. no. Oh my God, we did. We we did. We lose. Oh my goodness. Um, <laughs> no, it was um, like I said. I, that going into that year, um, you know, I started off really cold. Uh, I was. I put a lot of pressure on myself. I was like, all right, we had the worst year in school history. I don't want to repeat this. So I worked the hardest I've ever worked in my life that summer, and I came back. You know, he. I ended up starting. I was. We, our first two scrimmages I killed our exhibition game. I had 14 points. I was, I was like, all right, I'm on a high. And then, you know, then first game we played central Connecticut, you know, it was tough. Like I was like, I wasn't as aggressive. I don't know what happened. Then I got banged up a little bit. And then we go to Cameron indoor second game of the year. Now that was, that was amazing. Like I can't, put that into words. It's just, you had to be there. I mean, if any player is able to play at Cameron, it's just an, it's, it's just an experience, whether you win or lose, obviously you go in there winning, you won't have the mentality to win, but you know, uh, seeing coach K coach K's name on the court, the Cameron crazies hands near you calling you out during calling you games <laughs> during the warm up. you know, um, you know, the crazy part was so like Andrew Leone, the guy, the other walk on, I told you about, you know, he's all of five four, five five, uh, maybe taller. Andrew, don't if you listen to this, don't kill me. But um, he, that they were calling him so many names. I'm like, this is actually kind of ruthless and kind of scary. Like, what are you guys? Be nice. Like, I, I get you're trying to be intimidating, but like, this is actually getting a little out of hand. So, um, but no, it was like I said, it was an ultimate experience. We lost by fifty. I can't even can't even make that up. We lost by fifty. <laughs> Now, mind you, mind you, they their roster had uh, Jalil Okafor, who's still in the NBA, Justice Justice Winslow, NBA, uh, Rashid Suleiman, who's now a coach at Duke, uh, not Rashid Suleiman, sorry, Emil Jefferson, Rashid Suleiman, who is like a really good player. I think he's overseas now. Quinn Cook, um, you know, so he was in the, the NBA. Title that year. They won the title that year. Grayson Allen, Semi Ujale. We're talking about six, seven guys that played in the NBA G League. Like, that's the competition we played that day. And it was, you know, when I think back on it, I'm like, man, that was that was the most talented team I ever went against in terms of being pros. So, um, yeah, and that was that was Cameron Indoor. It was an experience. We got a butt whooping. 
Um, I remember I shot the first shot of the game, or second shot of the game. I shot, I think I shot our first shot of the game, and it went straight off the glass. I was like, man, why am I so jittery? And then all you hear is air ball, air ball. I'm like, all right, I got to shake that off. <laughs> hey, you know, if you're going to lose by 50, at least it's to the eventual national champs. Yeah, I mean, nobody wants to say, yeah, I played Duke. We lost by 50. But, you know, like I said, they, they won the national championship that year, and it was uh, – it was like I said, it was good and it was fun. Yeah. What were some other highlights from your final season there? Um, I finally broke out of my little slump going into it. I ended up losing my starting spot, and like I said, I had I was a little salty about it because I worked so hard to get there. But um, I lost it to the fr- a freshman named Tyler Nelson, who ended up being the all-time leading scorer of the school. So wow. it's another thing, yeah. So, um, but I would come off the bench. And, you know, I kind of started relishing that role. I was, I was good at it. And so, um, you know, had two games where I had 14 and 15 points. We won double overtime or overtime game against Quinnipiac. Then we beat Siena. We started off 2-0. and And then I got hurt. And my season was really, I struggled after that. Um, I remember I, I got hurt in practice. I uh, went up to contest a shot against our big man and my arm got caught in his arm. Then I went from vertical to horizontal in midair and I landed on my tailbone and, you know, I had back problems for the rest of the year. And that, that those issues, it was like a nerve. I hurt some sort of nerve, pinched nerve. I don't know what it was, but I didn't fully heal until like two years ago. Cause there wow. were times, yeah, there were times there was just like, I would walk and there'd be a sharp pain in my lower back. And there's, that had no other explanation than that because I took care of my body. I ate right. I, you know, I worked out regularly. I didn't lift too heavy. I was maintaining, you know, my strength and keeping my core strong. So that was the only thing I would go to a chiropractor and they said my core was weak. And I was just like, that's, that can't be right because I work on core a lot, but they said my stability was off, which then would take some stress off my lower back. So, um, after that, like I said, it was only until a couple of years ago where my back finally got better. And, uh, but that was probably the toughest part, you know. Um, towards the end of the year, I started playing all right. Um, I missed the game-winning three uh, towards the end of the year. That would have helped us in terms of our seeding for the MAC tournament that year. And so, yeah, I mean, like I said, I, I got to play a lot of basketball. and I'm not mad. Um, you know, I was, sometimes I do wish I played better, but like I said, it was all learning experience. Things happened the way they did for a reason. And um, like I said, now I'm a trainer, so I want to be able to push kids that want to be pushed to make sure that they can be the best that they can be. So that's where I'm at. Yeah, I've harped on this a lot, but just when you look back at your college career, it's incredible the success you had, you know, after getting cut. A lot of people would have walked away. You stayed. You started several times. You were a main rotation player. Just incredible. Yeah, like I said, I, I, I think, you know, like I said, I try not to, I got to look at the, the positive out of it. And I think looking back on the career, I, I think it's very, it was a very successful career. Um, I actually did have a year. I had an extra year after that year. Um, I unfortunately did not use it um, just because I wanted, once again, you know, my ego check. I, 
I wanted to stay at the division one level. I was trying to go to like Sacred Heart or like a lower division one, a slightly lower division one. Um, and I had two, three D two schools that were very interested in me. And I, you know, like I said, I'm thinking back on it. I should have took that. It would have been a full scholarship. Would have started my masters. It would, it could have been a different story. But like I said, things happen for a reason. Um, and so. You know, like I said, I'm, I'm just blessed I was able to experience the things that I did because not everyone can say they did, even as walk-ons, you know, in any sport, being able to play is, you know, is rare, so. Definitely. And, you know, you didn't go on to play a fifth year, but you did play in Canada, didn't you? I did. I played in Canada. That path was another grime, grime and dirt and tooth and nail kind of path because, um you know, my coaches didn't really know anybody they would like put their reputation on the line for to say that I can play professionally or no agents. So I did a lot of stuff on my own. I spent a lot of money on myself in terms of going to these camps. You know, I would drive hours. Uh, I drove to Virginia seven, seven and a half hours to go to this camp that really didn't lead to anything. Um, just, you know, relationships, which was good. I went to Vegas twice. I went to uh, Ohio. I've been. I went all over the place. Maryland for camps. I, it was just a grind. And um, you know, once again, like I was, I was one of the better players at every single one of these camps. Just no one had the connections to to plug me overseas. And so um, finally, I went to a camp in New York, and my team won the whole thing. We, we split up in teams. It just happened. Our team was really stacked. Um, and from there, there was a new league starting in Canada called the CBL, Canadian Basketball League. Um, there was a representative there, and they liked the whole team. They told the whole team, you got to get to – this was on a Tuesday afternoon. They were like, you guys got to get to Ohio for Friday. So I'm like, okay, I'm in Connecticut. How am I going to get to Ohio? So um, I don't have a lot of money, so I ended up taking an 18-hour bus ride to Ohio. Um, Stayed at a Red Roof Inn with two of the other guys. We split it. We we all killed it again. And then they offered us um, they offered us official invite to the combine that was held in Scars Scarsboro, uh, Ontario, in Canada. So what they were trying to do, the guy who started the league, his name was Butch Carter. We all met him there. He his claim to fame was like he's the head coach of the Raptors in, in the 90s. He found Tracy McGrady and Vince Carter. And so he was trying to build a developmental program in Canada to link them to the NBA. So, and, you know, in our contracts that I read, it was like, you know, if an NBA team wants you, you, they have to pay, like, it was ridiculous, like $4 million to buy out your contract. And, yeah, it was like it was legit. It, he was trying to make this like a really big deal. And so it was a lot of guys that didn't really get the looks. But when I say there was so much talent there that all these guys are really good, man, there was so much talent and these guys are all hungry. And um, so that, that Scarsboro thing was like the NBA combine literally had, um, you know, the laser time sprint and, you know, vertical jump. And it was just, it was really cool. We did a lot of shooting drills. Charles Oakley was there. He was like a friend of Butch Carter. He was, kind of helping everything go. He was an investor, I think, or something. And, um, you know, I ended up getting signed and it was like, it was a dream come true because I was trying to play pro 
people, first people said I couldn't play basketball, period. I ended up scoring 1,000 points in high school. Told them I want to play Division One. People are like, you're not a Division One player. Did that. Um, had people in college say that I couldn't play professional. And I did that. Wow. So Just it was proving everyone wrong. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it was, like I said, it was just a blessing. You know, I cried, you know, it was just something that, you know, you can't really explain. And I, you know, I didn't make them a lot of money, but it was more the fact that I did something that I put my mind to. I didn't let, you know, tough times, you know, hold me back. I was able to push through the times where I felt like quitting because there were times where I was just like, man, is this even worth it? And like I said, I'm still friends with all those guys. Um, you know, some of them are still playing. And that's why I said there, those are really talented guys. And I'm just, like I said, I'm just blessed that my basketball journey has taken me to the places it has. So. Absolutely. Now, how long did you play in Canada? Uh, just one year. Um, okay. You know, uh, like I said, there was a lot of external things um, that I was like dealing with and trying to figure out and, you know, like I said, I was a walk-on, so I had student loans, and you know, my check wasn't covering, you know, everything. So yeah, it was just, yeah, it was, it was, yeah, it was really tough. And so then I had a real hard decision. Um, I had another tryout in Spain, and but I had to pay my way to get there, so I had to pay for the flight and I had to pay for the hotel and all this stuff. And um, you know, if I would have did that, I probably, who knows, I would probably still be playing now, but. Um, I decided to call it quits after that. And it was one of the hardest things I ever did in my life. Um, you know, I kind of definitely went through a little uh, depression. Um, I think it's something that needs to be talked about more amongst athletes, like not even just professionals, but like college kids who whose career comes to end after four years of sports and you're done with sports. There's this little lull. Not everybody knows what they want to do. And it's just like, man, you just dedicated you know, since you were like five, six year old, six years old, all this time to the sport that, you know, and you got to stop. And a lot of people don't know what to do with themselves after. So there was like a year where I was just um, trying to figure out, like, what am I going to do with myself? And um, yeah, so that left me to that, that point where, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm glad you brought that up because that, that's such a true thing. You know, so many people do not make it past the college level. Obviously, it's hard enough to get to the college level in a sport, and then it's even harder to get the professional level. So yeah, if you're playing in college, you've played a sport for the majority of your life, and you're right, then when it ends, it's over, and this thing you had for so long, you have to fill that void, and not everyone knows what they want to do. Like you said, it's, you know, even if you don't play a sport, sometimes it's hard to figure out what you want to do in life, but that is an extra layer there. So tell me, how long did it take, you know, from going through this to decide, okay, I'm going to start a training center? So, I mean, I started it essentially right after I graduated, but it wasn't, I didn't go full time with it because I was chasing that dream to be a pro basketball player. Mm -hmm. So I was like training on the side. I was working part time as a recruiter. Uh, then I try, I worked a little bit for another startup company. And what kind of started pushing me full time to like, and I was coaching on the side too. So I was coaching, this was like 2018 and I decided to go like, all right, I'm going to try to do this coaching thing. So doing that and training on the side was something that I wanted to do. 
And, you know, like I started working on my craft and it was difficult because the money was not there, but I was getting by. And like I said, I felt like I had a connection with players. It just, I felt right to be on the sideline and coaching kids, helping them. You know, I knew the type of coach that I wanted to be and I knew the type of trainer that I wanted to be. So I was being able to infuse both as a trainer and a coach was fun. You know, I was the assistant coach at St. Luke's, my high school, and who happened in the head coach who happened to be the associate head coach at Fairfield at the time, which was Tony Newsom. He's still there right now. Uh, me and him, me, yeah, me and him have a great, great relationship. You know, we're, I'm actually supposed to call him and um, talk about, I might, I might join the staff again next year. I don't know yet, but um, yeah. So like I said, it's just like, I miss it. Um, and, you know, working with coach Newsom, he, he, he just made the game fun as well. Like, you know, learning under him as a, as a coach, instead of a player, um, there's a different side when you're a player and he's coaching you and then you're a coach and you're on the same level as him and he's, you know, spitting knowledge and, and, and pitching me game and stuff like that. So, um, it was, it was good. And so that's why I said, we still have a good relationship. I try to send him players when I can, because, um, you know, obviously he, he has a solid program. He's this program's been winning, you know, for the last, you know, five, six, seven years. So, um, but yeah. And so when I decided to go full time, I left St. Luke's and I went to Fort Union military in Virginia, which was an all boys military school. Uh, no cell phones there for the kids. It was like, it was a whole, I was in the middle of nowhere, Virginia. I was dead middle of uh, Virginia. I was like 50 minutes from Charlottesville where the university of uh, Virginia is and then an hour from Richmond. And like, it took me like 45 minutes to get to like the closest like shopping center in terms of like a big Walmart and all this stuff. And so it was like, that was, that was a year where I was just like, I didn't know. I was just, you know, I can, I'm not going to lie. I was playing a lot of Fortnite, and, uh, but I did make a lot of connections via, via, um, college coaches. I was calling a lot of coaches helping those players. These are PGs. I was a PG assistant. So I was hoping post-grads try to get to college. And this was like another learning point, learning uh, opportunity for me because a lot of these kids, all these kids thought they were division one kids and we were playing top notch competition. And so now I'm having a flashback where I was a high school senior playing guys that had offers and you were committed and not getting the same love. And, but this time I had more control over it because I can talk to the coaches and kind of help them and get them an opportunity. All I have to do is just get them to be seen. So I did my best. Yeah. So I did my best. Um, I'm proud to say that I had two, uh, kids, I think two kids went division one, um, and a couple went to junior college and then a lot of them ended up going D2. Yeah. So a lot of them had scholarship offers or scholarships and I didn't even recruit those kids. Um, now towards the end of the year, I started recruiting heavy. I was, man, if that team that I recruited actually came to school, I would, that would have been a really, I would team would have had like seven division one kids, but things happened. Kids never showed up. I ended up leaving, um, to work with a guy named DJ Sackman, who was one of the top one of the top trainers in, in, in America, in my opinion, he's a leader in the online industry as well for basketball training for, for high school and middle school kids. And, um, 
he actually, we connected at when I was there. Um, I went to the final four in Minnesota that year and we talked, he had an event he did. We talked and we connected and then he really two weeks later, three weeks, three weeks later, he was like, Hey, I need a trainer to go to China. Do you want to go? And I was like, what? And he was like, yeah, I need a trainer to go. I was like, he's like, send me a film of you training kids and teaching kids. And then I'll let you know. And so did that, went to China, um, for the summer. And when I came back, he offered me like a full-time training gig. And so that was really when I went full-time, which was like towards the end of middle of 2019. Okay. And you went full-time with your name, no days off, right? Yeah. So he had me like as an independent contractor. So, but, but he gave me the opportunity to learn under him, help with high level training and, uh, you know, the opportunity to, to just earn some extra, you know, extra money. I was, you know, I was making good money when I was working with him. And then, yeah, I, like I said, I, I learned so much. I became a much better player. If I, you know, learning from him and practicing and being able to teach it to kids, that made essentially made me a better player. It was actually kind of crazy. Like I was like the most skilled I've been in my life. And I was like, if I knew this in high school, there's no <laughs> doubt in my mind, I would have had division one offers. Like I, I could, I could guarantee that. Um, but yeah, it was, and that was a great experience, but that's where it's kind of led me to going full time with no days off training. That's incredible. And I bet, you know, the rocky road you went through and when your basketball life has made you a really good trainer, right? Because if you would, gone on and played it like a Duke or a North Carolina and never had anything go wrong. You probably couldn't relate to these kids as much as you can, given what you went through. Am I right with that? I, I, I yeah, I actually agree with that. Like if, if I were to say I were to go to like my dream school would have been UConn. I would have loved to play for the home home state. Like, mm-hmm. uh, but even then it's like kids would listen to you because you're at UConn and I don't know if they would really relate or they would be so starstruck, like, oh, my God, I want to go to UConn, too. But playing at a lower division one level, coming on as a walk on nitty gritty, not having everything made. Um, kids can also respect that as well. Um, and, and even like the pro guys and they, they see how hard I work as a trainer. And so it's it was um, like I said, they, they do tend to to relate a little bit better but they do have a little more respect for the guys that are at the highest levels obviously so um you know that i don't look at it as competition it's more about like looking at from two different perspectives so you want to give them you know just the the most information they can have and they have to make figure out if this that's what they want mm-hmm. so yeah. What do you focus on in your training? Like, obviously, it's the entire sport of basketball, but is it a lot of offense and shooting and dribbling? Is there, like, high-level basketball IQ in there? Yeah, so I, I, my business model is holistic training. So when I say holistic, I try to focus on everything, you know, from – off offensive skills. I, I'm, I am working on becoming a better defensive coach. It's something I'm actually studying right now. And um, I want to be able to teach it now. Is it fun? No. But is it necessary? Yes. Oh, and, exactly. Yeah. No one likes defense, but <laughs> yeah, you got to no, do it. Yeah. But um, in terms of just like offense, just like the skill level, like footwork and ball handling and angles and shooting off the dribble to your 
pick up. It's like all this stuff that I've learned over the years in terms of this. I'm just very detail oriented with everything that I do in terms of just trying to figure out what little thing can help this player get better. And, you know, more than likely it's, it, it can relate to all the players. And so that's what I really focus on. I, I'm dabbling into, um, I'm doing a lot more video work now, um, doing video breakdowns, uh, trying to explain why players do certain things, not only because of the skill level that they have, all the skill drills they did, but now it's the application of the skills and drills. That's the biggest thing that I, um, I think the best trainers can do is figure out how drills can translate and create what I call and what you know some of the top trainers call feel. Like you can't say like you're gonna get to this point and you have to do this move. It's no, it's what you feel in that moment. It's what how you feel the defender. The defender's cutting you off. Here are your options. This is what you can do, right? And so yeah. then it's like cultivating that and kind of um, you know letting them kind of figure out what they like for themselves. You know, teach them everything, but it's like, hey, you like this move? This is something you like to do. This is how you use it, kind of thing. So. Yeah, it, it's hard to teach. Not everyone can be a trainer. Yeah, and just but that's just like anybody. Not everyone can be a coach. Not everybody exactly. can be. Not everyone could be a teacher. Not everybody can be a police officer. Like it, certain people, people, certain things are made for certain people. And I think you know, it took me a while to figure out my calling. And like as much as I would love to be a professional basketball player, I think you know, my calling has been to be a trainer and like a mentor to whoever chooses to, you know, use, to use me as a resource, you know, and uh, I, I do take that to heart and I go to bat for the kids and I, you know, like I said, I work hard to, to not only educate myself, but also kind of help them educate them and the parents to, to help put them in a better situation. So, um, you know, that's, that's one of my goals and that's one of my, uh, one of my missions you know, and how, what kind of drives me day, day in and day out. I love it. And I mentioned at the opening, a plethora of great athletes who have gone on to play or great basketball players, also great athletes, um, yeah. have gone on to play at really incredible universities. So can you name some of those players that you have trained? Um, that I've trained. Uh, so I have a decent amount of like, Division one guys, uh, I've just started getting into the girl side. So on the guys, um, you know, the best guy that I would say I have is right now would be uh, Aaron Wheeler. He's at St. John's. He's actually killing it right now, you know, since wow. 2020's hit. Um, he's, he's from Stanford. So, um, you know, growing up, it's crazy. His older brother and my younger brother played on the same team growing up. And so that's that's that connection there. Um, on the girls' side, I've been training uh, Sonia Citron, who's at Notre Dame as a freshman. She's like five-time ACC Rookie of the Week, um, or four-time, whatever it is. They play tonight, and um, you know, I kind of met her during COVID, and you know, I offered her a free session. Uh, her and her dad came. They they both loved it, and been training with me ever since. Dad texts me almost every time, every week. There's a game. Um, you know, <laughs> developed that relationship. Uh, most recently, uh, also I've been I tapped into the UConn scene where with Kristen Williams and uh, Olivia Nelson, um, and I met them 
through um, Alex Bizell, who's another trainer. I met Alex through DJ. So it's like the basketball world is so small once you know the right people and network. And, you know, if you're, you know, very, uh, if you're true to yourself and you're, you're, you don't, you're not putting up a front and you're genuine in who you are and what you do, um, the right people come around and, you know, they can sense that and they, they're willing to help. You know, I can't do everything by yourself. And um, that's something that I've, I've had a hard time accepting, and, but I'm learning to do it. And uh, in terms of trusting people and, and helping, being able to help me instead of just doing everything myself. Because as you can hear my story, I did a lot of that, a lot of these things on my own. So, um, you know, it was really, uh, well, I had help, but um, I did a lot of the grunt work, so. Yeah, now you're reaping those benefits. Um, so wait, so who did you root for when Notre Dame played UConn? <laughs> it was tough because the tickets, um, Kristen got me the tickets. And so I was sitting on the UConn side, but I couldn't help but cheer for Sonia because I've known Sonia longer. She played really well. She had, I think, 27 that game. Um, if if her team, her team had a tough shooting day, if her team played really well, I, I think it's a different game. Um, and you can see that they just beat NC State the other night. And I think the only person that really played well was uh, Dotson. Like, Sonia didn't have a great game. Liv, uh, their point guard, didn't have a great game. Like, not everybody played well, and they still beat the number three team in the country. So that that's kind of scary thinking about that going into March. If they're all if they're hitting on all cylinders, they they can they might do some damage in the tournament. I would love to see it. I agree. I mean, they they're peaking at the right time, uh, and then obviously with the UConn girls, once they get Paige back, they're a completely different team. So it's going to be interesting to see how they're seated and when and if she is able to come back. Um, how long it takes her to get back into form, but. Yeah. yeah, Kristen's had a great career. Olivia's had a great career. Um, so wow, I mean that's that's incredible. And I, Aaron Wheeler, I have watched some of St. John's. You know, I love I love some Big East basketball. So tell me this though. So they're all at their respected schools. Do they text you and like ask for your advice, or do you ever text them after a game and be like, "Hey, good job doing this. Next time, maybe try this." Yeah, that's what. I, and I've been trying to do that more for everybody. Like I have. There's a girl that I trained who's a, who's a freshman at Brown. I have another kid. His name is Jack Malloy. He's at Yale. Um, you know, one of my closest kids who I've been with for a long time, his name is Jonas Harper. He's a senior at BU. I've been training him for years now. Um, and, like, I, you know, sometimes I don't really even talk about basketball. I try to check on their mental because it's being an athlete at such a high level. And, like I said, I played at Fairfield U and that's a pretty high level but like it's another level when you go up to like UConn and Big East schools and things like that and the rigor of the physical like the physicality and the grind day in and day out the practices um it's more about checking in on them as as people first and then if they have any questions on basketball like then I can then I sometimes I ask do you want me to do film or you know, Chris, like I said, Chris, like I told you before we started this, like Kristen's been very proactive in that. She's like, hey, can we watch film or get some shots up? And like we were watching, we watched film on like Louisville and a bunch of the other schools. I did like a 30 minute. She was the first player I did a breakdown for. And that breakdown was 30 minutes. I will never do that again. Yeah, I think I, it's just too much. So I've, I've been trying to kind of condense it. Um, but it was really, like I said, um, 
you know, it's about checking on them because, um, you know, the mental parts of basketball, like I said, I, I try to provide a holistic view. So it's not just, you know, basketball IQ in terms of mental. It's just, how are you doing? It's like, are you okay? Are you happy? Are you, how are you doing? You know, there's stress, there's school, there's, you know, stuff that people don't talk about. There's, it is a lot. You're yeah. right. It's a, it's a lot. And, um, you know, like I said, I can think about what I went through and I don't know, some of my teammates been, were going through things, but, you know, thinking back on it, it was like thinking about going to a therapist when I was in college was like outrageous because it just like, you don't think for your mental health to go to a therapist and like, you're okay. I mean, there's something wrong with you mentally, but like I said, you know, things have changed and my outlook is different. I, I currently, I, I go to therapy, a therapist, you know, now to kind of help me with things. And, um, she's been very helpful in terms of helping me kind of sort out what I need to do and how to focus and how to handle certain situations. And, um, I think more athletes should be more receptive to doing that to help them deal with what they got going on. If they don't feel comfortable talking to it with maybe their coach or somebody. So, um, it's just something that I really, that's why I said it, check on them as a person first, which is important. And then, you know, you can worry about the basketball stuff after. Yeah, that that's awesome. And I love that the narrative is kind of changing around therapy, especially for athletes. You know, it used to be, oh, you're tough, just get over it. But honestly, now the tough are the ones that do go to therapy and talk it out. Um, but yeah, so I'm really glad you, you stress those things to your players. Yeah, and it's like, you know, you gotta, everybody's different. So you can't, you can't treat everybody the same. And, and that's my biggest thing. It's like, you know, some kid, some players you can yell at and kind of push other players. You can't because you don't know, like sometimes they may have something that are, or they're almost at a breaking point and you don't know. So, um, you know, that's what I, that's why I harp on it. And it's, and it's really important. If you're not okay mentally, how can you be locked in to do something, you know, and that's, and that's why it's so important that we as, as trainers and coaches need to make sure that narrative is, um, you know, is, is brought to light and stays a focal point in how we run things. A hundred percent. And I think the best coaches are the ones that know how to coach players differently. You know, some kids you can run out and meet them at half court and scream in their face and they'll respond great, but it's not everyone. Sometimes you gotta, you know put your arm around a player and sort of just gently say it. Um, but yeah, I think the best coaches are the ones that are able to, to do both with the players that respond to it. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. And it's, it's like I said, as a, and that's something as a player, you got to know, you know, if you're going to a high school and your coaches, you know, you don't respond and you're not receptive to their coaching style you know, try to stick it out and try to adjust. But if it's not working for you after two years, then maybe, Hey, now maybe transfer. Or if you're going into college recruiting and you're watching this coach and how they coach, you should really understand how they coach during the game and in practice before you go to the yeah. school and make sure like, that's, that's the biggest thing. You want to go where you're wanted and you want to go where you fit in best. It's not about the name. It's about the fit and how you're going to enjoy your time at the school thousand percent agree with that yeah so you know you, you have this great situation where so many of your players are going on to play at the college level but 
you know, as your day ends and the night's rolling around, it's basketball season. I mean, you got a lot of basketball to watch. You, I'm sure you're catching up on all these kids. Man, that's the hardest thing. It's like I have two games going on, and then like I like at the gym that I train at, it's like we have there's two gyms. Then I have my phone on loud so I can listen to another game while I'm trying to train. And I'm just because I I can watch the film after, but it's nothing like hearing it in the moment. Um, oh yeah. You know, and sometimes I I stop the training session. I'm like, hey, let's go watch this kind of like a teaching moment we watch maybe like two minutes and I'm like hey look this is the move we worked on last week or like this is something you guys gotta there's always teaching moments and that's another aspect the training that players need to know how to do which is watch basketball like learn how to watch it not just watch it as a fan but also be able to understand it as a basketball player why like why did this player make this reader why what would have been the what should have been the better pass you're you know those situations and the only way to do that is either you're in the situation you know some players some people learn better being in the situation but i mean everybody re, uh, would learn quick when they're in a situation but some people are better audio learners some are better visual so like again it's it's knowing who you're coaching knowing who you're training well steve i have loved our conversation i mean i've said it a million times your story is incredible the level that you're trading at, you know, the kids are going on to have such successful careers. Um, seems like this is your your passion. I think this um, no days off is going to be ten years down the road, still going strong. Yeah, uh, that's 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 what I hope for. You know, hopefully, uh, the goal is to get my own gym too. I'm trying to figure that. I'm doing some research now into land and 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 things of that nature, and um. Yeah, I, I, I want to be able to expand and I want to help as many basketball players as I can, you know, um, not just because of my story, just because basketball has brought so many great things to me and, and people in my life. And, you know, I don't know what I would do, would have done it without it, obviously. Um, so I'm really grateful for it. And I just want to return that favor to the kids and, and pros and whoever wants help with the game. And if they trust me to, to be able to guide them and somehow or, seek advice or if I can give them or point them in the right direction. You know, I don't know everything, but if I can help them on their journey, that's all it's about, what it's about. I love it. You're doing a great job. Steve, I like to end the podcast with a couple of fun questions. How does that okay. sound? That's good. Let's get it. All right. What is your favorite sports movie? Ooh. Uh, I want to go I like Above the Rim from the 90s. Uh, okay. Yeah, Above the Rim, I would say. Uh, that or Coach Carter. Always, Coach Carter can't go wrong, Coach Carter. Coach Carter is a great watch. I actually I didn't end up watching it, but it was on the TV the other day. Oh, so good. Yeah, it's a great, great story and, you know, very, very motivational. So, gotta love yes, it. Sir. Exactly. Do you have any hidden talents off the basketball court? Um, I don't know. I used to draw when I was younger. Like I said, I was very, I used to do a lot of things and then kind of basketball took over my life. <laughs> uh, I used to play instruments. I used to, I love music. I used to produce, like try to produce some things and like, um, you know, I love to dance, even though my girlfriend may have other things to say about my <laughs> dancing skills, but um yeah, no, like, I think it, it would involve music. Music's always been a, another passion of mine. I love music. I, love, I wish I was able to sing. If I wasn't a basketball trainer or player, 
I wish I would have been a singer if I was able to sing and stuff. So that's a fun one. Yeah. All right, Steve. Last question: If you could have dinner with one person, living or dead, who would it be? Kobe. Kobe. Oh, immediate response. Hey. That's a good one. Yeah, it was. Um, I didn't get. I was gonna, you know, tell this story, but um, so when I back in 2019, uh, Kobe and Gianna were in New York, um, and DJ and Alex were training them um, with Nafisa and AZ Fudd, who's on UConn. So it was those four players in New York. And so when they said that, they were talking about it. Obviously, I was with them. And, you know, Alex was telling stories like Kobe was, would text them about how Gianna's doing. And, like, he gets excited about that. And I was like, can I please come to the workout? I don't care. I'll sit on the side. I'll be quiet. I'll... But they were like, you know, Kobe's very picky. He doesn't want too many people in the gym. And I was just like, damn. You know, and then obviously, you know, it was sad because three weeks later, you know, the, the you know the accident happened, and it just it, it just it broke my heart because one of my other goals was to be able to like be able to meet him and be able to you know talk to him, chop up you know just life and hoops. But um, yeah, so one person that would have been Kobe for sure. Yeah, that's a it's a bummer that that didn't work out. I can't believe it's been two years. Yeah, man. Time is just in general. Time just is moving so fast. It felt like 2020 was so slow, and now we're already 2022. We're already in February. You know, it's kind of it's like mm -hmm. you know, time was just cruising, and then now it's like zoom, 2022 already. Like holy crap! I know it is nuts, and it seems yeah. like the world went to crap right after Kobe Bryant died. I don't know if there's there is a little <laughs> bit of a correlation there. There, there right? is, there definitely is. You no, know, I we all <laughs> I said the same thing. I was like, man, threw off the balance of the world, man. Like, it wasn't supposed to happen. So yeah. um, it is what it, you know. Things happen for a reason, and uh, you, know, you know, we gotta just you know. One thing that I do is take is like his mentality and how he attacked every day. And, really just it puts a lot of things in perspective and you know like i said my therapist helps me my girlfriend helps me like on those tough days you just gotta remember why we're grateful you know you get another day to attack things that we want to do and you know things we strive for and, and that should be a, a good reason to attack attack every day and try to be positive as possible absolutely Steve, thank you so much for taking time to come on the podcast. So, you know, your busy schedule, training, watching your kids. Um, I really appreciate it. Love, love to tell your story. It is an amazing one. Bridget, thank you for having me on the podcast. It was, it was a pleasure. And I'm just happy that, um, you know, you, you found me. I don't know, you know, you found me and you were able to let me tell my story. So, you know, whoever gets to listen, I hope they enjoy it. And, you know, obviously tune into more of her episodes because, you know, they're really good. All right, everyone. That was my chat with Steven Johnston. Hope you enjoyed it. Really cool to hear about his career at Fairfield, the adversity he faced, how he fought through it, and his career now with No Days Off. He is a great trainer. And if you guys haven't checked out some of those names that he mentioned, those are some really great basketball players. I'll be back soon to speak with another outstanding athlete.